That's right. It's a hit by podcast. We are back. It's episode 11 on December 10th, 2021. And boy, do we have a good one for you. We've got the Dom himself, Dom Frederick, the director of morale, self-appointed for the Chicago Cubs coming up as our first ever interview on the hit by podcast. That'll be here in about 20 to 30 minutes, but we've got a lot to cover a lot of stuff that we missed uh, so far over the off season. First, we'll talk a little bit of world series action. Uh, Jorge Soler, uh, former cub himself picking up the world series MVP and a lot of free agent signings before the major league baseball owners locked out the players so if there's one bright side to the lockout, it's that. Lots to talk about on the free agent market. And, of course, we're going to talk about the lockout. That's going to be after the interview. And then the Hall of Famer old-timers committee, six new Hall of Famers as of last week. So, Lucas, a lot to get to. Yeah, how ironic. The time that the league just doesn't exist right now, we got the most to talk about. Pretty excited. This is the Hip Hop Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. Larry Larson, it's been a minute. I'm happy to be back here. Happy to be back chatting and talking baseball with you. Of course, you know, we got a lot to talk about. So much stuff has happened and we don't even have a league right now. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's talk. I guess November baseball still, but the ending of the 2021 season, the Atlanta Braves ended up winning it all. Thank God, honestly, because I mean, <laughs> screw the Houston Astros. That was like a, a Cinderella story without the White Sox winning. I don't think I could have um, asked for a better postseason pan out. Larry, how'd you feel about the way that that turned out, especially with the Astros just not, not showing up there? You know, Lucas, uh, first I got to say, you know, we missed Thanksgiving during our big, uh, podcast hiatus gotta say thankful for the hit by pod thankful for you thankful for the atlanta braves because (laughs) they were america's team uh as soon as everybody saw this world series play out everybody was rooting for the braves i was rooting for the braves and i think maybe maybe we deserve a little bit of credit because both of us picked the houston astros to win in our world series preview episode how about that you know they it's kind of like a thing where it's, it's harder to get everything wrong. Like we kind of did than it is to get, you know, at least some things, right. It, it kind of takes more skill to do it the way that we did to just, well, I know for your bracket, pretty much every single choice was wrong, but we both did come to the conclusion. Uh, you know, once we saw the world series matchup that, you know, Houston was the better team that had the better regular season. I mean, much better record. And I think, you know, Big time favorites in that series for sure, but Atlanta did it. I mean, they had so many people throughout that postseason come up and kind of be the hero. Um, and then you also talk about the people that don't get mentioned as far as like the success, I think, in this postseason, because it was more about the smaller guys, the newer guys. Uh, Freddie Freeman, super happy for him. I think, you know, it's kind of like in my head, I, I related to Walter Payton being forgotten about in the Super Bowl for the Bears. 85, didn't get the touchdown. You know, it was a route. I think they would have put up what 45 points. Uh, you know, William Perry gets the touchdown. The fridge, baby. The fridge, come on. And not that Freddie Freeman didn't contribute, but you know, a lot of it was Eddie Rosario, it was Jock, it was Jorge Soler with the big home runs. And you know, their best player 
you know, it's crazy to think about this team also has Ronald Acuna when healthy, but for this season, you know, their best player really was kind of overshadowed by a lot of the smaller stories and just kind of tells you what can happen in the postseason. It's really all about who shows up. Definitely. You know, if, if a team gets hot, we've talked about it a lot throughout the podcast ever since we started recording back in June or July or whenever it was, you know, you can put any team in the postseason and one out of 10 times, they'll make a run to the world series, you know, and I think the Braves got hot at the right time. And needless to say, they had the pieces. I think so many people were quick to discount them when they lost to Cunha because not only was he their, you know, cover page guy, he was their superstar, but he's such an emotional leader. The leadoff batter sets the tone in a lot of ways for that team. But when you've got a guy like Freddie Freeman, who has been in that organization for a very long time, I think you're right in that sense that everybody kind of overlooked him and he had such a big year and uh, a big world series. He had that nice moment in game six uh, when the Braves closed it out, that exclamation point home run. Uh, and then Jorge Soler named MVP. I was really happy to see that uh, won the world series with the Cubs and now won the world series with the Braves. There's a guy that knows how to win I saw him play uh, in June, I think it was, up in Milwaukee when he was with Kansas City, and he just hit a tank home run. I mean, like, it was a, a missile off of his bat. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, this guy could, could be a nice trade deadline acquisition, and uh, turns out it was. The Braves, they just did such a masterful job all season long. I mean, whenever you lose your biggest player, you figure you're you're not going to do a whole lot, but their front office deserves so much credit. And I'll be interested to see what they can do with Acuna next year. Yeah, absolutely. Really what I took away from it, uh, especially being a Sox fan and having the postseason kind of come up not the way I wanted it to, obviously. It's like, you know, we had a team, the way I look at it, that could have won the World Series. If the Atlanta Braves went on and beat the teams that they did, then, um, you know, it kind of makes the Kimbrel trade sit a little easier with me, you know, it, makes me think, you know, maybe it was the right move. Um, it just didn't pan out. You know what I mean? But it just tells you, like, if you get the right group of guys, I mean, it's just kind of a cliche in sports. You know, it's more about the team than any individual. You get rid of a talented individual like Ronald Acuna and you still put, you're still able to put together um, the success that Atlanta does. Yeah, absolutely. All the credit in the world to that front office for what they were, were able to achieve. Um, and the cherry on top for me was that it was against the Astros. So, um, sorry, Dusty Baker. I know your your times um, still not come for that World Series, but I'm not I'm not too sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm not feeling too bad. You know, with with regards to Dusty, uh, he'll he'll get one maybe maybe Manager of the Year. He won Manager of the Year, so yeah, there you good go. for him. Well deserved. And I think an era is coming to an end in Houston. Carlos yeah. Correa is now a free agent. Uh, Altuve still on the roster down there. They're still going to have a solid core. Uh, Garcia headed for Toronto um, before the lockout started. Uh, and that brings us to free agency, Lucas. A uh, lot happened. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, I'm a big fan of pre-lockout off seasons. We should do this more often. I think this is in a weird way, a good thing for baseball because you see other sports, you got like the NBA, as soon as the off season starts, you're hearing rumors, you're hearing so-and-so to this place, uh, talks have started between this team and this player for baseball the last few off seasons it's taken until january or february or even march or april in some cases and now you get this lockout really forcing teams hands i loved that 
I want to start with perhaps the most surprising team so far this offseason, the Texas Rangers backing up the Brinks truck, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, new infield down in Texas. Yeah, super surprising. I feel like it was more of a, a Twitter meme than anything that the that Texas was going to get everyone this offseason. Shout out to Foolish Baseball because, I mean, the pictures of Kershaw, uh, I mean, Scherzer, every single free agent basically. Um, seemed like more of a meme until they shelled out half a billion dollars overnight for their middle infield. And, you know, part of it that I like is that it's, it's making sure that the teams that I think are going to compete and um, give the White Sox a run for their money, you know, there are teams that aren't signing these guys. I would have hated um, for say the Tigers to sign Corey Seager, as opposed to Javi Baez. I'm much happier off that way, but super surprising move for them, both of them. Um, also signed John Gray to, I think a four-year deal kind of been, you know, average, a little above average over in Colorado. I think a change of scenery will be great for him. Uh, and they just add some pitching, you know, I'm interested to see, I don't, I still don't think right now, um, in the lockout without free agency, you know, coming to fruition and finishing out, I don't think they're going to compete for the division, maybe depending on how Houston does. I mean, Houston still has a hell of a lineup. They still have Jordan. They still have Kyle Tucker. They still have Altuve, like you mentioned, re-signed Verlander too. Um, and we'll see how that pans out. But it'll be interesting because outside of Oakland, I think all of the teams in the AL West are realizing there's a window of opportunity here with guys like Springer and Correa leaving uh, Houston in the past two years. So, you know, they they jumped on it. And they're set for the next, what, seven years with – um Simeon so at least for that long you have one of the best middle infields uh in the MLB right now I mean you can say they're the best middle infield pretty comfortably and so at least at the very least what they're doing is set, setting the message that they're looking to win because there's a lot of teams that have won more than they have and are set up to win still that aren't making the moves that they are so if you're a Texas Rangers fan then you're absolutely ecstatic. You have the fourth most uh, home run hitter in your stadium coming to your actual team. So I'm sure that'll shoot to number one soon um, with Corey Seager there. But yeah, absolutely two crazy, um, really surprising moves, I think. But no complaints at all if you're a Texas Rangers fan, because at least they're spending money. Exactly. Spending money. That's, that's definitely something you want to see a team do in the offseason. Uh, can't say that my team has been great with that uh, over the last few seasons, but Hey, it's good to see the Rangers kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. I, I do have to say, you know, I think if they make the right moves coming out of the lockout, whenever the lockout does end, I think they could very easily be the favorite in that AL West because Houston's going to be good. They're going to be competitive. They always are, uh, especially with Dusty Baker still down there. And you mentioned re-signing Verlander. He comes at back healthy. You really can't count them out because you could argue that, you know, not having Verlander or, you know, a real rock solid ace down the stretch there of the postseason is what kind of cost him. If they've got a guy like Verlander and maybe another arm to compliment him, they're probably the favorite. But how about Seattle? I've heard about them in the mix for guys like Chris Bryant. I'd love to see a guy like Chris Bryant in Seattle. Uh, my Cubs fan bias aside, you know, I want to see Seattle do something. So there's, a, there's an opportunity there for the rest of the division. Uh, how about another former Cub? Javier Baez makes the jump to Detroit. Yeah, it seems like Detroit kind of swung and missed with uh, getting Seager and Simeon. Heard they were kind of in on both of those middle infielders. Um, but 
pretty nice if your consolation prize is Javi Baez. I mean, still a hell of a player, no matter uh, how you look at it. And honestly, um, if you're a Cubs fan and you just kind of look at how he ended his time with the Cubs, you might think that he's on, um, you know, the downslope and not doing too hot, but he had a really good second half of the year after he got traded to the Mets. Um, better strikeout numbers, better walk numbers, not that, you know, his walk numbers are anything to celebrate, but in the right direction. So hopefully that's the guy that Detroit gets. They got him for six years and honestly a pretty good deal. So um, you're getting a talent, you're getting a hell of a defensive player. And I think it's, again, one of those things I, I kind of always preach, I feel like, but knowing that a team is willing to spend money and knowing that a team is looking to make their team better. And especially a, a team in Detroit that has a good manager, a manager that's won before, um, pretty easily connects with the players. It seems like, you know, still has a good relationship with guys like Correa. Um, and then the farm system that they have, they have some of the best prospects in the MLB. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, you know, kind of the highlight there. Um, he's going to be hitting bombs for years to come. So they're definitely on the right track, you know, and Javi Baez, like I said, they're willing to spend money. So of course, like all other teams, there are a few moves away still, but right now they're right up there um, competing with the White Sox and they're, I think their closest competition for sure. Here's what I got to say about the AL Central. You know, we talk about the AL West kind of being wide open. I think a team like the White Sox, who ran away with the division this past year, they need to be careful because, like you said, Houston's got a lot of young talent. They've been rebuilding these last few years. They've got a great manager and A.J. Hinch, who, all things considered, did very, very well this past year with a very, very rebuilding team, mm -hmm. uh, for a lack of a better adjective. That's not a team on paper that anybody expected to compete, but they won some games against some good teams. So you throw a few guys like Javier Baez in there and some, some more pieces, I think they could be in contention for a wild card. Or if the AL Central is as bad as it was this past year, I think they can make a run for the division title. And then you look lower in the division and you look at the Kansas City Royals. In my opinion, I think Kansas City, in terms of a well-rounded farm system, in terms of names, I haven't read up on the rankings uh, over the last uh, – you know, few months or even past year, admittedly. Um, I think they've got one of the best farm systems in baseball. They've got so many guys that are knocking on the door. They're going to start the season in AAA next year. I don't really expect them to get to the major leagues and maybe make a full season impact, but the Royals have a lot of guys that are going to be in the major leagues very soon. So if you're the White Sox, I think you got to start making some moves. You got to be smart with your money. You got to be smart with your prospects because the Detroit, they're coming. Kansas City, they're coming right on their tail. AL Central is going to be a lot of fun to watch here in a few years. Yeah, 2021 was definitely the easiest um, year for the White Sox, I think, to win the division in their kind of window that they have right now. Um, I didn't realize until a few days ago, and I think a lot of people wouldn't realize, the Tigers had the same record as the Mets did last year. Uh, people think the Tigers overperformed and the Mets underperformed, which may both be true, but at the end of the day, they won the exact same amount of games as them. And, you know, they're adding talent, getting younger talent from their farm system, another year getting better. Um, I think last month of the season, they're going to be within five, six games, no matter what of the White Sox. And it's definitely going to be different from this past season where we really coasted in and never had a real threat. Um, they're going to have to earn it. And, you know, maybe that gives them a bit of a chip heading into the postseason, the White Sox, that is, that they didn't have this year. But that's a long ways away.
Definitely. And I, I will say I did look up, you know, the Royals farm system as you're talking there, a little uh, mid-episode research as one does. You look at their prospect prospect rankings, one, two, three, four, and five. Their top five prospects, their ETA is 2021 or 2022. Bobby Witt Jr., 2022. Nick Prado, 2022. Asa Lacey, 2022. MJ Melendez, 2022. Kyle Espel, 2021. Uh, And I follow a a handful of broadcasters in the Royals system. And all summer long, dude, my feed was – Bobby Witt Jr., Bobby Witt Jr., Bobby Witt Jr., Mendez, Mendez, Mendez. So these guys are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, you know, not to dig too deep in the AL Central right now, but I'm excited to watch that that baseball in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely um, on a swing, different, different type of division, I think, in the next couple of years. But let's talk about that other team that we just kind of compared the Tigers to there in the Mets, making quite the big acquisition. Um, breaking the bank to sign Max Scherzer to a two-year deal uh, or three-year deal rather with the uh, opt-out after the second 43 and a half million a year. Steve Cohen spent our so guy. much money, our guy, our, our guy, our, our number one supporter for the podcast, of course. Um, I mean, crazy money, but it's Max Scherzer, you know, he's super accomplished second in Cy Young or third in Cy Young last year. Um, but obviously one of the best pitchers in the league still, obviously the questions are there that, He's getting older, but I think a lot of those were answered with his performance last year, and the Mets were in a position where if they were able to spend the money, which we know they are, they now have the best one-two in baseball of the past, you know, 20 years, or at least in my lifetime, I've never seen, you know, two such accomplished pitchers um, and one staff. Definitely. You know, that that is going to be a scary top half of the rotation with the one big if, if they stay healthy. And that's the risk anytime you sign a starting pitcher, anytime you draft a starting pitcher, will they stay healthy? You know, going and, and making those moves, they're necessary, but they're always a gamble. And for me, especially with Serger, what concerns me is, you know, what happened this postseason with the Dodgers? He went and pitched one inning out of the bullpen to close the series. Uh, Dave Roberts sent him out there, and perhaps that shot him for the rest of the postseason because he couldn't pitch well again. Uh, and he got shut down for the rest of the playoffs. And that's how you know it's bad. You know, a lot of guys, if, if they have arm soreness or arm troubles in the playoffs, they're going to pitch through it if they can pitch effectively. Max Scherzer did not. Uh, and that's that's a little bit of a red flag for me. Jacob deGrom also was banged up last year, but he showed that, you know, even coming off of those injuries, he could still be uh, perhaps the best pitcher in the league. So those two guys at their upside – that's the best one, two punch in baseball far and away, but we'll see if they stay healthy. Um, I'll be very interested to see how that plays out. And I want to go back to Steve Cohen. I pulled up his Twitter feed to see what he's been up to lately. He's had three tweets since October 4th coincidence. I think not. Yeah. And they were Pretty electric tweets, too. One calling out the agent of Stephen Matz and Stephen Matz himself after, I guess it seems like they kind of had a little agreement that, you know, Matz wanted to come back to New York and that that ended up not being the case kind of last second. And it's just so funny, the tweet that he wrote about it, you know, just throwing a fit like, wow, I really thought that. I am not happy this morning. (laughs) I have never seen such unprofessional behavior exhibited by a player's agent 
I guess words and promises don't matter. What a joke. Oh my, someone needs to tell him that it's a business. I mean, pay the man more money, I guess, but hilarious that he came to Twitter like that. And with no context, I remember, you know, not obviously knowing exactly what that's about the first time I read it. And the first time you read a tweet like that, you just know that you're in for a good day. You're in for a good day on Twitter. And yeah, that's exactly what it was. That's, that's funny. Poor Steve. You know, if I tweeted like that, every time uh, something didn't go my way, I would not have the amount of followers that I have. But <laughs> hey, uh, money money gets you that privilege, I suppose. There you go. And uh, 4,600 retweets along with it. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and then, of course, also talking a little Mets, Noah Syndergaard, he, da- he dashed. He said, I'm out. I don't want my owner tweeting anymore. Uh, I'm going to Disney World, and he signed with the Angels. I think that's an interesting move for an Angels team. Again, back to the AL West, who has the talent to be competitive, maybe, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, then they're making a lot of moves, too, getting another guy in Lorenzen who, if he's on his A game, it's going to be a good move for them. But Syndergaard, obviously, the question is health. He hasn't pitched um, in, in two full seasons. He hasn't pitched in the MLB, and we know what he can do. We know how good Thor is on the mound when he's at his peak, but, I mean, how far away are we from that? Um, Obviously, the Angels are one of the teams where they're in the position that that's a risk they can take. They really need pitching. I mean, they drafted every single one of their past draft picks was a pitcher. Did not take one single position player. Um, It's been a need for them pretty much the entire Trout era, and this is one of those moves where, you know, Syndergaard's got a pedigree. He's been really good good and you hope that he can be the type of pitcher that he was before the injury because that'd be awesome to see him um you know kind of have a bit of a resurgence after being out the last couple years for sure and again the opportunity is there for los angeles i think we said it a few podcasts ago like it's such a shame the talent on that angels team the last few years and it started with trout and now they've got another generational player can they do something? I don't know. Is this is this year the year? You, right. You'd hope because they've got a good manager and now they're starting to spend a little money. Uh, but now we're in the lockout and I suppose the, the rest of the offseason is anybody's best guess. Lucas, before we get to Cubs and White Sox here briefly before our interview, I pose the question to you. Which team or even free agent has had the best under the radar move this offseason? Yeah, I love the question because obviously we this is a crazy free agent class and this has been so many big names coming off the board. But one under the radar move I like is the Marlins trading for Jacob Stallings. Um, Super good defensive catcher um, for Pittsburgh. And I highlight defensive because, um, you know, he's not he doesn't provide much with his bat, especially compared to other catchers these days. Um, He's definitely more of a defensive guy. But the pitching staff that Miami has, um, you know, they extended um I believe it was Alcantara um you know they have a bunch of young arms and having a veteran um who's good at pitch framing good at being a defensive catcher um and making the move for him I think he's going to do wonders for that pitching staff um and you know it definitely falls under the category of under the radar it was a trade in fact and then signed him to a two-year deal so um, I think that's just, you know, setting their team up to succeed. I think Derek Jeter's done a good job getting the, a young pitching staff. And now, you know, they're locked up for even longer and they got the catcher to kind of grow with them. You know, Luke is my favorite under the radar move also belongs to the Miami Marlins. Avi Garcia 
signing with Miami, former Chicago White Sox, uh, really a a local legend, if you will, built like a tank. I, I think four years, $53 million contract, that's a good deal for both sides. And I think Avi Garcia is a guy that can thrive in Miami. There's a veteran player that can provide some leadership on a team that will likely be pretty young. And I think the word of the podcast so far has been opportunity. You mentioned that Marlins pitching staff, uh, they've got a chance to be really good. We talked about them earlier this summer, how good some of their young players are. They add a few more pieces. Maybe they're in the wild card mix next year. Maybe they make a move for the division the season after. I think Avi Garcia is a great move. You lock him up for four years. You get that veteran presence. And you get at least 20 home runs and at least 80 RBIs every year, it seems, if he can stay healthy. Yeah, you mentioned the ex-White Sox. And I always think back, Hawk Harrelson always said uh, when talking about Abby Garcia that he's got so much power. And it's obviously true. But, you know, at the time, it just was where you're going to be able to tap into it. And we've seen with Milwaukee, he's had, you know, really successful years, especially compared to early in his career, getting that power out. And, you know, he hits some bombs. So I totally agree. Um, I, I think that's a great under the radar signing for them. And I'm glad that he got a good deal out of it too. He's going to be there for, you know, the next four years, um, you know, assuming whatever, but I think that's great. I think it's a good deal for both sides for sure. How about a little Cubs and White Sox talk? Perhaps we buried the lead here with our two favorite teams. You know what? We're talking off the air, uh, quote unquote, off the air. I'm, I'm so used to talking on broadcast. I don't know what you, what you call off the air in a, in a podcast equivalent <laughs> off the record. I don't know. There you go. The White Sox making pretty much one move this offseason. I was re-signing the cult hero, Leori legend, coming back to the White Sox. I know a lot of people were not happy about that on Twitter. White Sox Twitter was up in arms when Leori legend was re-signed. Your thoughts? Yeah. So I will correct you and say that there's been one other good signing for the White Sox. Kendall Graveman should not be slept on. He was a there, great there you go. pitcher last year and super happy with that move. But um, Leary Garcia is kind of been the move for us because um, Sox fans know we need a second baseman. We need a right fielder. That's been our issue for years now. And Leary can play both positions. And so I think a lot of White Sox think, um, you know, that's it. And I hope he's not our starting right fielder. I hope he's not our starting second baseman, but he's been a good player for us, whether, you know, in some games he looks awful, of course, but he's come up in real big moments. He came up in the playoffs. He, he had a really good second half of the year, honestly. And as long as this isn't the, the move and, you know, I'm willing to say that it's not going to be, um, then I'm happy with it. He's a good utility player. One of the better ones in the league, I think. I mean, he can truly play good defensive at any position. Um, and it wasn't like crazy expensive or anything. So if we go out and get a guy like Conforto, Schwarber, Castellanos, get us an actual right fielder, um, then I'll feel much happier about, you know, having Larry back on the team, but still no complaints. I'm right there with you. I think White Sox unhappiness with this, with this move is a little misplaced. Well, maybe not even misplaced. I know White Sox fans just aren't happy with the ownership or the front office perhaps mm -hmm. at, at the present moment, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Garcia, one of the best utility guys in the league, and his glove provided something to that White Sox team that the White Sox needed all season long, and that was consistency on defense. Uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez out in left field had some trouble sometimes. Out in right field, the White Sox had some difficulty. Whether it was injuries or, you know, just they needed guys to fill in, having a guy like Garcia 
is so, so valuable. And he was a big reason of why that team kind of made it through those bumps in the road uh, throughout the season. So I like the move of bringing him back. But like you said, I think the White Sox need a starting second baseman. I think White Sox fans were really rooting uh, for them to bring in Chris Taylor. Everybody was talking Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor to the White Sox, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. And he goes and resigns with L.A. That's tough. I don't think I even heard the White Sox fans or White Sox rather being mentioned in discussions for Chris Taylor. Bad break for the Sox, you know, coming out of the lockout. If they can pick up uh, a starting second baseman, starting right fielder, a guy like Nick Castellanos, mm-hmm. I think that makes the Garcia signing a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And real quick, last thing on the Sox, I, I touched on the Kendall Graveman signing. And I think another big part of that is it gives us flexibility to ship a guy like uh, Craig Kimbrell for some second base talent. I know there's been talks about guys like Gene Segura and stuff like that. So um, we have, we have options with Sox fans. Um, maybe a guy like Nick Madrigal, <laughs> but let's talk about the Cubs. They've kind of, uh, <laughs> they've kind of made a big move, uh, kind of buzzer beater at the end. there, signing Marcus Stroman um, also signed Clint Frazier a few days before. And, you know, they've kind of made some smaller moves early on Wade Miley off of waivers from the Reds. They've had, you know, a pretty successful postseason so far, I'd say, or off season. Rather. Yes, I-, I would say so too. Uh, I'm cautiously happy, optimistic, whatever you want to call it uh, about the Cubs so far. I think Marcus Stroman has always been a guy that, has caught my eye since he's been in the big leagues with the Blue Jays. Uh, I I know he had some ups and downs in New York, but I think he's a guy that can really provide a nice compliment to Kyle Hendricks at the top of the rotation. He's probably your ace now. Comes in with a lot of electric stuff. And we'll talk with Dom about Marcus Stroman and kind of what he brings, you know, maybe to the Cubs outside uh, of the baseball field and in the clubhouse and off the field because that's that's Dom's specialty, right? The director of morale. I think this this is a big morale signing. I think yeah. this is a signing that Jed Hoyer and company came out and said, "Hey, we're not just resting on our laurels this off season. We want to come and play too," which I think is is a little bit of a relief for the Cubs fans. Clint Frazier, I think, is a low risk, high reward signing. Uh, anytime you get a guy that's been beaten up by injuries. Uh, early in his career, uh, came in as a top prospect. Those are guys you want to keep your eyes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can always perform like he was a top prospect again. So maybe a change of scenery will be good. Uh, maybe not if you ask CC Sabathia, who said it was a miracle that the guy played 15 fucking games in the big leagues <laughs> uh, on his podcast, which is kind of a weird move if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, mm-hmm. I think – that's kind of the the buzz around that move is, you know, low risk, high reward. But we'll see what the Dom has to say. Yeah, of course. We, we need to know where the morale's at with these moves. Um, yeah, no, I love the Stroman move. I Like you said, he's kind of someone I've always had an eye on and always kind of um, enjoyed watching him pitch. And I like his approach to the game as well. He's all about, you know, being healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, um, his processes before the game, how he warms up and everything. Um I think that'll do wonders for, for your pitching staff. I know you got some younger guys coming up, maybe with a few question marks on who's going to fill out the back end of that rotation, but having a guy like Stroman, like you said, probably going to be your ace now on for the next few years. I think that's great. And what I like about it too, is that it wasn't just a kind of fuck you to the Cubs fans. We're like, yeah, we're going to spend money and then get Jan Gomes and, and Clint Frazier, which, you know, you know, they're good players. And I'm sure Cubs fans are excited about both signings, but you know, 
that at the time Stroman, I think was the top pitcher on the market and the Cubs went out and got him before the deadline didn't wait. And, uh, you know, definitely move where if you're a Cubs fan, um, you're happy seeing that. Oh man, you bring up beyond Gomes. That's a whole different thing. I don't think we have time for that. Lucas, <laughs> we got to get to our first ever interview here on the hit by podcast. It's none other than the Dom, the director of morale for the Chicago Cubs, a Cubs Twitter legend, so to speak. Uh, if you're a Cubs fan, you don't follow this guy. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, just a guy that, that always brings the good vibes or always brings the truth to the Cubs Twitter. So with that being said, let's bring on the Dom. We are here with the Dom, the director of morale for the Chicago Cubs, self-appointed, of course, but Dom Frederick, how's it going today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here, and uh, yeah, let's talk some Cubs, even though we're in a lockout. Hey, might as well. You know, got to keep things positive, and yeah. I, will, I will say the Cubs ended the pre-lockout period on a positive note, signing Marcus Stroman, a bit of an unexpected move of sorts. Yeah, I bet that was good for morale uh, going into the lockout. At least the Cubs, you know, kind of went into that period on a high note. Your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, can you imagine what the lockout would be like if that signing uh, did not happen? That would be, well, it would be miserable right now. You would have no real direction on where the Cubs would be going, even though they're saying one thing and they'd be doing something different. But uh, it's a huge signing. Not only is it a huge signing, it's a smart signing. I don't even think it's incredibly risky. 71 million for three years. I know there's a few escalators in there, but man, I think that's an incredibly team friendly deal for a guy who's proven to be durable uh, for a guy who's proven that he can get ground balls. And, you know, he's just, he's a solid pitcher. He's not an ace. Uh, I don't, he's not a Max Scherzer. He's not, you know, a DeGrom, but he's a, he's a solid starting pitcher who can win you ball games. And I think every Cubs fan would agree. That's what we need. I mean, if you're looking at this team, we had one of the worst starting rotations in 2021. Uh, it was miserable. And when you lose bad news and Kyle Hendricks doesn't have a great year in 21, you obviously need to bolster that rotation. So coming with Strollman in 2022 is huge. And hopefully they can build off of that for the next season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Going from, you know, an offseason where you mentioned it, you lose bad news. Not only do you lose bad news, but you trade bad news. Yeah. And you Darvish to the Padres, and now you turn around and you make a competitive move like this. Uh, you mentioned the direction of the team. You know, how much does this move, you know, mean for the Cubs going forward? Yeah, I think this – I mean, I'm not, I, I, I tweeted out a couple of days ago, but I'm not going to make the player comparison, but in terms of the signing, I think this reminds me so much of John Lester back in 2000. That would have been, I think the end of 2014 going into 2015. Um, just kind of putting yourself in uh, putting your flag down saying we are going to move forward. We're not going to totally bottom out. We're serious about competing um we actually want to win and granted they still have more moves to make and the team is not like where it needs to be at this point in time but like I said earlier if they had gone into this lockout period with nothing happening and them just signing a few uh minor leaguers and Jan Gomes and Wade Miley off of waivers I mean it would be totally different and I'm assuming this podcast would be sounding a lot worse 
uh, and a lot more somber if that uh, signing wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, it's huge. It sets the direction for where they want to go. They still have more work to do. But, you know, it, it not only does it set the direction, but it, it really puts the Cubs at an advantage because, in my opinion, the deal is so – financially reasonable that they didn't have to pay 35 million for a starter, even though, you know, it would be nice to have like an even better starter, but all that aside, like they got the guy they needed and now they just have to continue pushing forward and hopefully this lockout can end sooner, sooner or later. um, So they can do that. Yeah, no, I think the move for the Cubs was smart on so many levels. Like you said, it's team friendly. Um, and he's a great guy too. He's a great guy to have in the clubhouse uh, and having your ace at that low of a price, it's going to be great moving forward because I think looking back on a few of these deals that the Cubs have made um, starting with, and of course I'm going to tie the socks into this, but starting with the Nick magical trade, um, mm-hmm. I think there's like clear intent that they're trading for major league players. Um, I heard Tyler glass now tossed around for, yeah. um, for Kimbrell in that same, in that same uh, trade deadline. So I think there's clear intent that they're getting guys who are going to contribute to a team, you know, obviously with with magical being out for that year, this year, um, they get a guy like Stroman where Larry, we just talked about it. It's not just an FU to Cubs fans saying, you know what, we're going to spend ha ha and get a guy like, I don't know, maybe Alex Cobb or someone who's a tier below. And maybe you're still yeah. not sure if that's your ACE, you know, they went out and got the top guy on the market right now. Um, and set, you know, their kind of tone for how free agency is going to pan out once we get the, the league back. So, Dom, I'm interested, who are some guys that you maybe have on your radar uh, that you want to see the Cubs target uh, when we get a league back? I mean, this is uh, obviously, you know, it would be the biggest move since, I don't know, bigger than Jason Hayward. I think the first thing you have to do is, is make a run at Correa. I, 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 think it sto- I think it stops and ends there because mm-hmm. – while it's going to be expensive, while it's going to be a huge deal, you don't find these guys all the time that can play shortstop and get five wins above replacement on a consistent basis and can put the ball in play consistently and hit for power and play excellent defense. Like, you don't find these guys. So if you're going to add anywhere, I know people, uh, I, I tweeted out the other day, like, the same thing like the first order of business is Carlos Correa if you're like yeah but I'd rather spend that money on Castellanos and Chris Bryant but like I, I see what their point is but you're a better team with Carlos Correa and him locking down shortstop for the next six years until you know he's in his mid-30s compared to Castellanos who's close to 30 I believe Chris Bryant who's 30 and still I mean I love the guy but he's just objectively trending downwards um i see those guys as more ancillary pieces to the next great team compared to carlos correa who could be the centerpiece for the next great cubs team and i think everyone would agree we're not trying to make a good cubs team everyone wants to see the next great team and jed said that tom ricketts has said that the whole gang has said that so it stops and ends there and if you can't get them then fine you you know, probably go for a Cassianos type, or maybe you want to reunite with Chris Bryant, or, you know, there are plenty of guys out there that you could do it with, and you probably won't build the best team, but at least you could build something. But like I said, it starts and ends with Carlos Correa. We've seen going back to the Bryce Harper deal. Now people are going to say, yeah, that deal was incredibly long. Like you still don't know what the end of his career is going to look like. I understand it, but can you imagine Bryce Harper coming in 2019 
20 and then 21, it would have changed everything. And um, I'm a firm believer in that. So if you want to be a top dog, you have to spend. And these are this, these are the instances that set franchises apart from other franchises. So if you're real about it, then you're going to get, then you're going to make a run at college career. And then if it doesn't work out, you go to plan B from there. You know, I, I really couldn't agree more because you just touched on it at the end of your answer there. This is what separates the big fish from the little fish. And yep. in my opinion, in the last few off seasons, the Cubs have acted too much like a little fish when For in sure. all reality, you know, they've got the most expensive fan experience in baseball. You've got Tom Ricketts, who's got money out of his pockets and just overflowing. This is a team that should be spending money like the Yankees or close to the Yankees. Maybe not every offseason, but in off seasons like this. And Carlos Correa is the number one guy that's out there right now. Yep, for sure. There's there's nothing short of that. And then when you're just looking at the money that's coming off the books, I mean, before the Stroman deal in 2023 or 2020, no, 2024, there was $7 million before arbitration on the books. 2023, I think there's like 25. Don't quote me on that, but the numbers are incredibly low to where, listen, you're going to have to spend on somebody. And right now, I think the payroll's at $110 million after arbitration. They have so much more room to spend. They have so many more places where they could add to this team. And like you said, this is a cash cow franchise where they've been making money hand over fist. Sure, they put a lot of money into the renovations. Sure, they lost money during COVID, but everyone did. So cut the excuses. Stop acting poor. Like, stop stop trying to blow past that you have the most expensive fan experience in major league baseball and pay for pay for your wins. That's just how it works. It doesn't mean don't develop. It doesn't mean make shrewd moves. It doesn't mean don't make smart moves, but if you want to be the top dog, if you want to be the Dodgers, if you want to be the Yankees, if you want to be uh, the Red Sox where they can come in and out of the playoffs and make a run at the world series in any given year, then you have to be one of those big spenders. Yeah. And so much goes into it being, I think, Carlos Correa specifically, too. I think him being that shortstop that, you know, Chicago feeds off of. I mean, I've never seen um, such fandom, and and I'm a White Sox fan, so it kills me. But the love for Javi Baez that, you know, growing up, I always thought, yeah, no, Tim Anderson's better. But, I mean, people just love a a franchise shortstop like they love their franchise QB, you know. And I think Correa – is better than Javi Baez, you know, maybe ever was. I yeah. think he is such a jewel in this free agency market, especially with how it's played out with Seager getting somewhat reasonable money over the 10 years, you know, 32 and a half million a year is a lot, but you know, with, with Correa, that's kind of the ballpark where teams are like, okay, we can actually do this. And there's been so many different types of teams too spending the money this off season that, I mean, you guys know, there's no excuse for this Cubs team. And for that front office not to spend the money. I mean, you just touched on it, only 110 million in the books here. So why not spend that 30 plus million for your best player? He's gonna be a guy yep. who's gonna win you multiple games. I mean, and and make you probably right up there with the Brewers, you know, along with the other moves that you guys have made already. Cause you can't discount the fact that you guys have already made solid moves for your team. And I mean, a guy like Carlos Correa, yeah, I absolutely think that's gotta be, you know, pretty much every team's top target right now. Well, not only that, but like you said, Carl Square doesn't come around every offseason. Mm-hmm. And next offseason's free agency market's terrible. Like, it's uh, 
uh, who's the guy who's on the the guy who's on the exact Arkansas? Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> perfect. Of course, uh, like there's nobody. So if it's not this year, which uh, of course they signed Strowman, but if it's not this year, it's probably not going to be next year. And then you're talking about trades, and then it's that whole deal with trading away prospects, and then you're going down that whole slope again, which you're eventually going to have to do. But even you know, as a White Sox fan, you understand like. This is the slippery slope of being in a competitive window. You start trading away, guys, and it gets challenging. You'll see that. So, again, money's money. Like, you're making it already. Sure, is it going to cut from profit? Yeah, but, like, you can't go into the season spending only $110 million when you say you want to get in the tournament, you say you want to be competitive, and you say you want to win, and this isn't going to be a rebuild. So, all those things point to making a run at Carlos Correa. And like we started this off with, like, he's the end-all be-all right now until you hear otherwise. I want to transition from talking about, you know, all roads run through Correa to maybe another player who the Cubs fans have been talking about a lot uh, for good reason, who's on the roster right now, and that's Wilson Contreras. And the Cubs earlier this yeah. offseason signed Jan Gomes. And personally, as a Cubs fan who has been probably a little more pessimistic than positive as of late, uh, that move pissed me off, to be frank, because you've got Wilson Contreras you know, coming up on the end of his deal. And you sign Jan Gomes, and then you've got Wilson tweeting the airplane emojis, uh, thinking he's getting traded. What did you make of the Jan Gomes move? And do you think that the Cubs are going to start making a run and and trying to extend Wilson Contreras? I think, as I've said multiple times, I think if there's one thing Jed can change until he proves otherwise, until he proves that he's the Bill Belichick of Major League Baseball, they're savages in that front office. Like that's one thing that they need to get better at is negotiating. They need to get better at handling their own players. Like that's just a fact. Um, it's great that they signed Stroman. And even though they did sign Stroman, I'm still not believing that Wilson Contreras isn't on the trade block and Wilson Contreras still isn't being talked about uh, by other teams in terms of how they can acquire him. I think if there's one thing you can get by with, it's a catcher who can slug and who can frame and play good defense. And I'm not saying Jan Gomes is an you know offensive juggernaut. I'm not saying he's a difference maker offensively. But if there's one position that you can make it by with a sub-offensive uh, player, it's at catcher. You saw it with the Astros. You've seen it around the league for the last – decade or so once framing got really big um i just don't know if they're gonna put their put all their eggs into wilson Contreras's basket he has regressed i love wilson i've been you know on wilson ever since he came into the league uh he's my backstop but i'm not sold that the franchise feels the same way and i'm not sold that the franchise really feels and jed feel like it's the right decision to extend him would I love to see him extended? Yes. But I think Wilson's probably thinking one thing. And Jed, as we've seen it with many uh, <laughs> homegrown players, they're seeing another thing. So I'm not saying he's getting traded, but I'm also not saying, like, 
now's the now's the time. Like if they don't extend Wilson Contreras, like it's the end of the world. I don't see it that way. I'd love to have them, but if you can get by in this league with a with a sub offensive player, it's that catcher. We've seen it way too many times with really successful teams. Yeah, I think the move just overall was just so confusing, but. And that the fact that the catcher is the one position, like you said, it just makes it more confusing because on one hand, you're paying Jan Gomes. I mean, the deal I compare it to, it's a, it's a little less expensive, but James McCann last year um, was pretty much the top catcher on the free agent market. You know, the Mets ended up getting him for what, 10 million or, or a little less than 10 million a year. And Jan Gomes isn't getting too far off of that is it's what, six and a half, I think 13 over two years. And it's not really backup catcher money, I wouldn't say. No, and it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. like you have Wilson, who it's not a guy that you're going to be able to replace with that exact value. Like his bat's there, his arm's there. It's not a catcher where you can say, okay, well, we're not going to pay him because we can get somebody like Wilson. You know, you can get a good catcher still, of course, but I understand if they're thinking, well, we can't afford to extend him because we can replace that value. But now then you think, towards the end of the year, I know they were talking, well, Wilson needs some days off. He's been catching his legs. He's a young catcher. We can't just, you know, drive his career into the dirt with the DH possibly coming to the NL. Maybe there's some flexibility where you could afford to pay Wilson um, DH money, you know, and, and get him to sign a little less expensive of a deal saying, you know, we're going to have you catching some days. We're going to give you some days off. You're going to be DH in some, um, we would love to have you in Chicago. And I just don't think that that's at all, you know, their mindset. I think that, if those conversations had even begun to happen, which, you know, I'm pretty sure they have not, then maybe. But um, at this point, with the amount of money that they're paying to him, it's just such a weird deal to me. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, I've been a huge supporter for Wilson. But at the same time, if you want to if you want to be looked at as a DH potential, then he's got to pick it up. I think yeah. everyone could agree like he's he's kind of. I don't want to say he's fallen off, but he's he's definitely taken a step back offensively. He's not as consistent. He's striking out a whole lot more than he did when he came to the league. Um, and you know what? Like, I think probably from his perspective, like we're seeing a very similar thing with the the past four four. Like, I think everyone kind of needs to realize that things. Well, clearly, the core four, they're done. It's over. And the fact that Wilson's the last guy here, like, just the human element to me says, well, like, the same thing's going to happen to me, and he very well could just be, you know, waiting until 2022 is over or until he gets traded just because he's like, all right, I'm going to – they're not going to extend me. They're going to trade me away. So, like, I, I understand it. Maybe a new place will be better for him, but I just don't see Jed from everything that I've heard. And I've heard this so often is that they are absolute savages, savages when it comes to negotiating contracts. And I just don't think they're going to throw Wolf Contreras a cookie. And I, and I think many people could use the Stroman deal as an example for that, because that to me is such a steal three years, 71 million. Mm -hmm. For a for a you know ace to you know number two starter is a absolute steal. So I think that goes to goes to the point of that. But we'll see what happens. I wish Wilson nothing but the best, and if he's still on the team in the spring, uh, I can't wait to see him play well and and play better than he has over the last couple of years. 
Definitely. And I think that's, you know, over the last few years, as KB and, and Rizzo have maybe not digressed a ton, but, you know, they've started to hit that downward stretch of their career, yeah. so to speak. Wilson's been probably, in my opinion, the most valuable player on the team. So he's been, you know, a guy that gets you to the ballpark in a year like last year. I want to talk ballpark experience. I mentioned it earlier, you know, you got that most expensive fan experience in the league and you got Tom Ricketts, who's kind of been hesitant to spend. I don't think that's been a secret. I think he probably put the clamps on the front office last year, you know, as a Cubs fan, I know you're Mr. You know, we're not leaving. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, how, how do you balance that as a fan when you've got, an owner who's making money off of you. So, you know, so expensive tickets, so expensive food, the whole experience is expensive, but then they won't go and spend on the product on the field. How do you? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I have, uh, I mean, (laughs) I know I, I know I help hype myself up a lot and I know I will play the martyr a lot uh, in a sarcastic manner, but when I do tweet it, there is like, there's no real win winning situation there because people are either going to say I'm too negative or I'm too positive And I'm like carrying their water. I think I, and I don't, I definitely don't do it the best and I don't probably see it from everyone's side uh, at all times, but I try to look at, at it from every fan's perspective and yeah, it's really challenging. Like I, I just think about all the people in the city who, I mean, unfortunately are kind of getting crowded out by, you know, how expensive everything is. And I think of like, that's not what Wrigley was to begin with. It's a neighborhood team. It's a neighborhood stadium. I hate the fact that they're going around and trying to, I don't want to say interview, but kind of figure out the uh, people on the season ticket season ticket. Uh, holder waiting list to figure out who could actually pay and who could actually afford for season tickets and bump them up instead of just like actually going one by one to see, you know, uh, for people who've been waiting their turn. I think that's really shady. I think Crane Kenny, uh, the guy, I I, I mean, this guy's been working for the team for 20 years and his job is to get this franchise money. And all he complains about is that they don't have money and they don't have resources. And they, he keeps, you know, talking in circles. So like, yeah, I, I don't know if there's any real great way to explain it. I don't know if there's one side to really fall on because I want to support the team, but at the same time, I also want to be a voice for the people who feel like they're getting crowded out. So I understand people's frustrations I hate that the franchise is becoming more of a white collar franchise compared compared to a blue collar franchise. Um, I, I'm not a fan of that. I wish it was more affordable. I wish it was more accessible um, because I know Cubs fans are going to show out and I know they're going to show up. I know this means a lot to them. It's the same reason for why I rip on, you know, the Brewers fans and Cardinals fans who, you know, have these cheap tickets and still don't want to go to the games. Like Cubs fans will like literally literally save every last dime and cent that they have to where they are. They, they would rather rent a place instead of put money down on a mortgage to buy a home because they'd rather have that extra money for season tickets every single year. And that's what makes this place different. And I hope the Cubs realize that and stay true to their roots compared to going all white collar corporate, you know, corner office, 
uh, C-suite, all that type of stuff, which I hope they never get to that point fully. But you can kind of see it's going in that direction. So, Definitely. you know, ho- hopefully it doesn't continue that way. But, I mean, there's no real the, – people are going to be in favor of it. People are going to hate it. So it, I, I don't want to fall in the middle, but I just kind of want to tell the truth. And, you know, some people are going to like it. Some people are going to say, you know, you're whatever carrying their water. So it's it, it, there's no real winning situation when it comes to that topic. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel you. And I, I like what you said about Cubs fans. They're going to they're gonna spend money, and it's almost like the team's taking advantage of them. Like in yeah, my scenario, sure. you know, I'm going to buy $40 tickets, drive two and a half hours from Peoria on a school yeah. night, sit in Wrigley Field, freeze my ass off and watch the Cubs, you know, lose the Dodgers and extra or beat the Dodgers in extra innings in April just because it's the Cubs. I'm going to do that. Uh, so yeah. it almost feels like they're they're taking advantage of fans. No, I hear you. And I think, you know, they have every right to run their business how they want to run their business, but they shouldn't be blind or they shouldn't be uh, they shouldn't act dumb when people bring up these uh, concerns. And they said, well, we we got to do this because we don't have money or we got to do that. Or, you know, we're, we're focusing on that when they're not really doing anything different. And they're saying one thing and they're doing the opposite. So, I, I don't know if I have really a whole lot of love loss for the business side of the Chicago Cubs franchise. I don't really have a whole lot of love loss for Tom Ricketts, even though I've supported that family for years when people were initially bringing up the concerns and I'll still give them credit, but I'll be honest about the things you're talking about because it does get a little absurd and we'll see if they can write those wrongs. We'll see if they can change things up, spend more money, write those wrongs, try to make it more inclusive and more accessible for people, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Now, Dom, this would usually be the time where I would kind of get to enjoy um, Cubs fans being upset about any way that their franchise is run, but I don't really have any room to talk coming from a fan of the franchise that renamed Loretta's Lounge to LaRusso's Lounge. That move just doesn't sit well with me. So I'm going to say, Yeah, that was that, that was too bad. That was very much too bad. Disappointing. You know, be- before we turn the interview here, Dom, I, would, I do want to ask you about the lockout, you know, talking about ownership. Uh, you know, yeah. those that's a group of people that catches a lot of flack, and I think rightfully, sh- rightfully so. Uh, what are your thoughts on the lockout and and the two sides? I think they are. I mean, I think they're just really missing an opportunity to. Uh, everyone says grow the game, but I think it's more of just like staying in the like media spotlight. I there's nothing really to talk in terms of like baseball stuff or lockout stuff right now because. You can't do anything. The hot stove has totally gone cold. And I think in today's day and age specifically, we're going getting on to 2022. Like if you're not coming up with new stuff, if you're not staying in the news cycle, if you're not like expanding and being dynamic and creative as a business or an industry, like people are going to kind of lose sight of you. And I know everyone's going to say, well, it's going to be fine. The games are going to be back in the spring. I understand that. But like, you're they're fighting for eyeballs in a you know 365 day basis and i just think it's really short-sighted to not make a uh short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain and i think you see that with the nba you see that with the nfl you see that with college football like you have to be in the news cycle on a consistent basis i know everyone wants to say the mlb is in a great place and they've never had more money which is fine but the sport's becoming a regional sport. 
you have too many franchises where they're not competitive. I think it's a joke, frankly, that there is no salary cap because it does make things uncompetitive. And it really just sets up for these issues. And we don't see these issues in any other sport. So they need to change things up. They need to change the way service time is set up. They need to be honest about, you know, what everyone's paying. They probably need to institute a salary cap. They need to make it more competitive. And they need to be able to figure out these differences so we don't go for, you know, three or four months without, you know, having players being able to participate with their teams or being able to sign free agents. Because once you're out of that news cycle, like people are going to pass you by and there's, there's new things coming. Like I think everyone would agree over the last 10 years, our society has changed so much and baseball very well could get passed up by plenty of other things in an instant. It's not America's pastime anymore. Um, and I think the fact that the owners are kind of resting on their laurels and saying, well, fans are going to be back. Well, fans are going to be back. Well, fans are going to be back. We've always done it this way. I just think it's really naive and hopefully they can figure out these differences and come to conclusions because there's a lot more growing to do. And I, I just don't feel like baseball is in the best spot compared to other uh, sports leagues where they could withstand a lockout, you know, uh, for as long as probably this lockout will go on for. Yeah. I, I mean, how ironic that the league that's been trying to get viewership up and, you know, you know, get Americans back into the sport for so long is now yeah. just completely shutting out fans. And ultimately, I think we're the ones, you know, missing out um, at the end of the day. Of course. Uh, so, so we talked about you being a fan and, and kind of where you stand as a fan now. But Dom, I think we all like to know, you know, who are you and, and kind of what got you to being such a big Cubs fan and being the director of morale? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just a normal guy that, that has always, uh, liked baseball. I've, uh, I played baseball growing up my whole life. I grew up here, you know, uh, very close to the city, very close to the federal landmark. My, my parents were Cubs fans and, um, just grew up in a family where we were, it was all about sports. And now, even though I'm, I'm older and, uh, you know, much older than I was when I was playing. Like I'm still trying to get on the golf course as much as I can. I'm just addicted to sports. I love competition. I love, uh, activities and baseball, even just tweeting about baseball is, you know, um, been, been a lot of fun to interact with fans. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm an optimistic person who likes to see things in a, a glass half full manner. So, um, while I do sometimes get on the Cubs, uh, everything's based around trying to make people laugh and trying to see the good things with this team. And I don't know, I think over time, I, this would be, this will be my ninth season tweeting about the Cubs, uh, like this. So, you know, I, I think I tweet in a different way and people have appreciated that. Um, I'm not saying I do it the best or anything. Uh, I know my personality on Twitter is obnoxious and people hate it and I got a lot of people that can't stand me but I think they're missing the point of what it really is I mean it's Twitter I'm not on trial I'm not you know up there you know getting a verdict like uh Juicy Smoothie just did on uh whatever uh to find out he's guilty of five to six counts uh for whatever he did so it's like again I'm just I'm just messing around trying to have fun wake up every day and when I go on the app just trying to make people laugh or you know try to say something whether it be interesting or I, I don't know it's just uh, I'm just trying to be creative that, that's really all it is and I've tied that into baseball and 
other sports. So, uh, yeah, I'm just thankful to be able to talk to people like you and interact with other fans and make jokes and trying to bring more people into the game and feel like they're part of some type of community, if you want to call it that. Um, and, you know, trying to hear people's thoughts and their perspectives. And that's really what it's all about. That's really what it's all about, to be honest with you. I do have to say it works um, <laughs> you know, for, for me. I have not been very optimistic about the Chicago Cubs the last few years, but uh, seeing your tweets is definitely a highlight. Um, you mentioned, you know, it's just Twitter. Uh, and you've yeah. got a lot of people who, you know, namely Cardinals and Brewers fans who just constantly tweet at you and are probably all up in your mentions anytime something goes poorly for the Cubs. Um, I will say that one interesting factor about you is there's no face. It's the cartoon bear. You know, it's the anonymity factor. How important yeah. is that for you? And how much do you think that adds uh, to your kind of Twitter presence? Yeah, I mean, I do it for a reason. I have a, you know, again, I'm a regular guy with a, a job. And if I ever do Twitter full time or I'm a full time content creator i guess i'll put my face out there um but just for professional reasons i don't um i don't know if it adds to it maybe it does maybe it doesn't uh i don't know i think there's there's people that i've interacted with that know what i look like or you know I, I, again i'm not it's not like i'm really hiding much i just uh it's just i'm, I'm all about the cubs i'm all about you know the tweets and it's not really about myself. It's more about the, uh, I don't know, the, the personality that I try to personify on a on a consistent basis, my obnoxious self, not my, my normal, you know, everyday personality where I go to work, like everyone else. It's just, it's Twitter. It's Twitter. I, it's, again, I'm not on trial. I'm not standing in front of a grand jury you know, telling my life story. It's I'm, I'm making jokes. I'm trying to be funny. I'm trying to make myself laugh. So I don't know if it adds to it. I guess you can all speak more to that, more to that than I can, but um, it is me tweeting. I'm I like, I, I do think about these things. I'm a quirky person. I'm a different person. I'll accept that. Uh, I'm not going to try to be anyone else than who I am. So you know, whatever it is, if it makes me laugh and I'm not uh, offending anyone and I'm, you know, trying to be reasonable with what I'm saying, I'm going to tweet it out. and I'll just keep going with that. And I've been doing that for almost 10 years. So uh, we'll see where it takes me. I don't know. Yeah, it's the joy of social media, I guess. I mean, you talked about it's a very different being a fan now of sports and having platforms like social media, like Twitter and, and you know, everything else, obviously, and then being a fan yeah. when you're a kid and just seeing such a, a wave of different opinions. And then, I mean, from my point of view, I feel like how great it is to be able to put your, your opinions out there and have, you know, up to 27,000 people that are probably agreeing with you. And I think um, you've done a great job of finding that middle ground and being an honest guy, like you've talked about um, as far as how you feel about the Cubs. Cause you know, that's, that's your thing. You're a Cubs fan. You're, you want what's best for that franchise. And, you know, you're able to relate that um, in a way to other Cubs fans that, you know what? Yeah. It isn't always, um, you know, sunshine and daisies. The Cubs don't always make the right move or, or make the best play. But morality, I mean, that's what it's all about as a fan. If you have morale and if you're, you know, a fan of the Bears who are struggling or a fan of the Bulls who are doing good, if you have that morale and, you know, if, it, if you can give that to other people, I mean, that's what it's all about. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's just uh, trying to see things from a glass half full perspective and try to see the, the good things and whether it be people or situations, whatever. And even the people that don't appreciate what I do and the people that might have differing opinions uh, than the ones I say, uh, I still take that into account. And I've definitely learned a lot over this, over these 10 years or so, because, you know, you hear from different perspectives and people, you know, could be Cubs fans, like you said, from Peoria or Cubs fans who live right next to the ballpark, Cubs fans that are rich, Cubs fans that are poor, Cubs fans that have these political beliefs or that, like, I, I, I get that all the time. Like I get literally a hundred replies or DMS a day and I'm always talking to people. So you, you get a lot of different perspectives and I think you've become more empathetic for people that watch this team or are a fan of Chicago sports. So I'm very appreciative of it. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative for all the people that have understood the jokes and have gone along with it and uh, given me the time today to let me tweet and listen to what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm very, very thankful. It's uh, it definitely adds a lot to the, the Cubs Twitter space because I know a lot of it is just a lot of complaining and a lot of the same ideas. So I know I enjoy it. Um, I want to ask you about your merchandise uh, and when that kind of came about, because you mentioned, you know, you're a guy with a full time job. You know, this is not your yep. job. Uh, nope. Literally the Dom. It is a job. Uh, I recognize uh-huh. that, but it's not your <laughs> lone job. When did you decide to start selling merch and why? Yeah, I never wanted to do it. I, I was I so the guy I work with, Adam, uh, from uh, his business and uh, their company. I never wanted to do it. I had never met Adam to begin with. He's a guy who slid into my DMs and sent me a picture. Actually, he tweeted me the picture of the first shirt we ever sold before we ended up selling it, which was the Theo's League shirt out of nowhere. I didn't even know him. And then we started talking and I was like, I really don't think people are going to buy this. I really don't think people are going to appreciate it. I don't want to try to like, I don't want to be a used sales, a used car salesman and try to push products down their throat, which I continue to try to do that today. But we went with it. We tried it. um, And I think what we do is very specific with the mindset of we don't want to push products down people's throat. It's going to be available for a very limited amount of time. If you want it, you can get it. If you don't want it fine, but that's not what I want the account to be about. It's not what I want the content to be all about. I've always said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to tweet. It's going to be based off of the content itself and not the merchandise. The merchandise is just an extension or a way for people to support or a way for people to maybe I put something out and they really like it and they want to make it part of their wardrobe or they want to wear it to a game or they want to get it for a present. That's all it is. Um, and I'm very conscious about that. Uh, and if I'm, if I'm doing it a different way and people don't like it, I don't think that's the case uh, because I've been very specific about how I want to go about it. Um, then let me know. But I, I, I try to keep that in mind because I don't want to be someone that's saying, all right, uh, buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that, buy, you know, it's, that, it's not what I want at all. So, um, I think our stuff is pretty unique. I think everyone could kind of agree with that. I don't think anyone really sells the type of, uh, whether it be designs or, uh, I don't even know what we sell, like t-shirts, whatever, um, compared to other people. It's, uh, 
I love our logo. I think Adam is one of the most talented people in the industry. And that's not just for baseball. That's for like any type of screen printing, t-shirt designing products. And I could not say good. I could not say more stuff about him, better stuff about him and his team to the point where I don't want him working for anyone else because I think he's that good at what he does. Um, so uh, if it wasn't for Adam, then I would not be in the position that I am today because he has built out this brand new extension of my account and we made morale supply company and I just can't be more thankful for it. And for the people that have supported, uh, I'm incredibly appreciative of it. I know people were excited about the bull shirt that we just put out, which again, Adam did an amazing job on it and our artists have done an amazing job on it and i don't draw this stuff i just come up with the ideas and then we get it done um i'm not i'm not artistically gifted in any form or fashion at all um so yeah i, I probably went on a tangent like that but i i wanted to make sure whenever someone asks me about that i want to make sure adam gets all the credit that he deserves because he comes up with amazing work and he is like a true vice president of morale and uh honestly I, I say this in the most serious manner has like literally changed my life. So I'm very, very appreciative of that guy. Yeah. I mean, I, for one, love the wholesome approach to selling the merch. I think it's been a great way to, you know, I've seen your shirts on Cubs fans and um, you know, thought, like you said, it's just something different. It's your viewpoint and your kind of attitude about the Cubs um, put onto merch. Uh, and you said, that's not something that you see every day. How about something else you don't see every day? Your own coffee blend. Talk to me about yes. that because that's very unique. Yeah, super appreciative for Ian who, uh, I mean, if well, I didn't pitch the idea. He pitched the idea to me one random morning when I was driving on my way to work. He, he called me and he was like, hey, let's do this. And I was like, yeah, that might work. And uh, ended up being a great partnership. And we're going to have a new uh, bag design coming out hopefully in like a week or so we really need to get that finalized um, but yeah it's been awesome not only because the product and working with connect roasters and ian but uh for the company we're supporting which is the greater first t chicago which helps uh kids and underprivileged kids in the city uh learn uh and practice golf but also have mentors where they can have an after school program and hang out and, you know, learn like the positive games of golf. If I haven't said it already, I'm obsessed with golf. I love it. I try to play as much as I can. After this, I'm going to go into my garage and hit balls uh, in my garage. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. So it's been a great partnership. And I'm just very thankful that the um, coffee has helped a great cause. I think we've got over uh 1500 hours of uh or we sponsored over 1500 hours of you know time for uh you know kids in the city of chicago working with teachers and coaches and all that type of stuff so we're very very proud of it and uh i'm super thankful that we can continue uh doing it so it's going to be back well it, it's, it hasn't gone anywhere but it's going to continue on for the next season and i'm super fired up about it it's definitely a uh, very cool and unique project. And I, I got to ask, did you ever think it would get to this point where you've got, you know, Cubs players calling you up and saying, hey, let's make coffee? Uh, no, not at all. And no, no, not at all. And I think I, I think I've 
I mean, maybe um, I, I'm someone who does not like to uh, bother people. I think that might be different when uh, if I'm continuously like tweeting at Wilson Contreras for years upon years upon years, that's more of a joke. But in my real personal life, I'm not someone that likes to bother anyone. And I know these athletes are getting hit up all the time being like, Hey, like you want to do this deal or do you want to sell this? Or do you want to sell that? Like, that's the last thing I ever want to do. And I don't know if that has helped me or hurt me, but that's really always going to be my approach. Adam, Adam, uh, gets driven crazy because I'm not as forward as I could be on a personal level, but I just think people and many um, uh, Cubs players, athletes, whoever have uh, seen, whether it be past the account and have gotten to know me on more of a personal level uh, and have understood what I'm getting at to begin with. And that, that starts with, that starts with Ian. I mean, I can't, I can't say it enough. I'm incredibly thankful to have, worked with him. And, uh, I know the first time I went on the compound, I made the joke about building a relationship with him and we have built a relationship even, you know, and even during the tough times this season, right. Like still trying to, you know, support the guy cause, uh, care about him and I'm a fan of his. And, uh, whenever one's tweeting at me saying this guy's terrible, the morale blend ended Ian Hap's career and this, you know, I was like, no, that's, not happening. Um, he ended up having a great season, but more than that, he's a great guy. And uh, no, I, I never saw this coming anywhere. I don't know if we, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know if we, I don't think we've scratched the surface on what we can do. I don't know if we'll ever get to our full potential because I do have another job and this isn't my main priority. Uh, it's more of like a passion project, if you will, but you never know doors open doors close um i'm just here on a daily basis trying to make people laugh and i think the content is going to set people apart from the others and if you're the funniest and you, you're the most honest and you're the most original i think that's going to set you up in the end but i don't really have any goals for anything i just want to keep doing what we're doing and trying to make people laugh and enjoy uh their favorite teams um and you know again have an optimistic account or person tweeting on a consistent basis. So again, I'm very thankful for that. I've definitely gone on these long tangents. I'm sorry if I've just talked and talked and talked. I didn't mean to, but Hey, uh, you know, that's a question. That's what a podcast is for, right? Me and Lucas go on those long tangents. I think they probably would rather hear it from you than us. I've got one last question for you. Yeah. Um, You know, your impact on Twitter is now, now you've got, relationships with players you're making coffee with players do you think what you do has an impact because i know that marcus stroman was reading your tweets when he was getting that deal signed oh yeah do i think it has an impact in what form just overall i i think overall i think maybe in the free agent market you think maybe with the players i know it has an impact with the fans Listen, you know I'm one to not pat, pat myself on the back. You know I'll, you know I'll never do that. I will say though, in the age, uh, in the 21st century, going into 2022, everyone has a Twitter account, everyone has an Instagram account. Like these, these players pay attention to this stuff. The amount of time that I've gotten a text from a player saying, "Did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see that? What that reporter said? Like, 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 what do you think about that? What do you think about like?" I get that all the time. 
And these guys are humans, man. They look at Twitter just like you all do and just like I do. It's that like it matters to them. It's real. I'm not so I like again, I I I'll put my hand up. I rode Jason Hayward to the ground. I'm not a huge Jason Hayward fan. I was one of the first people that said Jason Hayward is not good. Over the years, I've just kind of let it be because I think I've understood that. You know, that really wears on these guys. And it doesn't mean that Jason Hayward wasn't deserving of it. But as things have gotten bigger and as more people are viewing the account and more people pay attention to it, I think there's more of a responsibility for what you tweet. And again, as someone who's not going to put, you know, pat himself on the back and not put, you know, uh, too much credit under his cap, in one form or another, if I'm the guy being incredibly negative about the Chicago Cubs and my tweets are always going across the whole Twitter sphere, there's going to be one player out there that looks at it and says, man, this guy hates the Cubs. He's a fan of the Cubs. He hates it. Why would I want to play for the Cubs, right? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to recruit just like the players are trying to recruit, just like Jed and Tom hopefully are trying to recruit uh, for this team because I'm a Chicago Cubs fan at heart. And I'm always going to uh, root for this team overall. Um, so I'm never going to lose sight of that. And I, again, I'm just, uh, I'm not going to give myself too much credit because you know, I don't do that, but yes, I do think it matters. <laughs> I do think it matters. I'll say, I, th- I, I give you some credit. I'm not going to, I think you should get a, a, a chunk off of Stroman's contract or something. Cause thank you. I, I, think, I mean, it. you touched on, it. I mean, it's so important. Like, like you said, everyone looks at Twitter, everyone, you know, they're humans too. I think if you have a idea of a team where these fans will hate me coming in, I mean, he's got teams where he's already said, you know, I'm not going to sign with these guys. And whether it's because of their Twitter or other things, like you can do your part to not be that team. And I think, you know, that's a whole part about morale is that you're going to do what's best for your team. You want what's best. Um, I mean, I'm giving you some credit for sure. Thank you. I mean, I've had, I've had, listen, I've, I've had player. I, I'm not going to say I talked at like every single player on the team, but mm-hmm. like there have been instances where like a guy's just like, yeah, I'm struggling like this or that. And like, just talk and, you know, just try to be friends with the guy and like they're humans, man. Like they go right. through tough times. It's like, it's while they do make millions of dollars and why they live these incredible lives and they're, they're set up for the rest of their lives. If they're smart with their money. They still deal with these emotions and for fans to pile on. And I'm not saying I don't do that myself, but I think there's a time and a place for everything. And a lot of these players are just trying to do well for the fans that show up and, you know, help pay the salaries and make the experience what it is. And I think they, they feel that responsibility. So hopefully fans understand that and understand that, that, that what they're doing matters. And I would even say for every single Cubs fan, I, like Jed even said himself, like they had to change course once they saw how fast the free agent uh, market was moving right before the lockout. And I'm not saying that Jed was on Twitter looking at what every single Cubs fan was saying and how they should have been more aggressive, but like we're seeing the same things they do. And I guarantee they know if they didn't make a decision and they let someone sign Marcus Stroman for seven, for three years, 71 million, they would have gotten absolutely killed and deservedly slow. So Again, I think all this stuff matters as crazy as people think, uh, as crazy as people will say I am for saying that. I still think it's true. Um, 
because they're just human. They're just human. They're just regular people. Definitely. And I, I think that's a great place to leave it. Dom's a human too. And we appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule. Oh, uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, definitely. Thanks Dom, for definitely having me guys. It. Yeah. Whenever you uh, want to chat again at the beginning of the, the season or whatever, just let me know. And I, I'd be more than happy to come back on. Perfect. Appreciate awesome. it, Dom. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you after the lockout, hopefully. Absolutely. All right. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Have a good you one. Too. Huge thank you to the Dom himself for coming on being our first guest. Lucas, I, I would say that was a pretty good first interview. Yeah, get a little legit opinion. Someone with some street cred in here so you don't just have to place your faith in me and Larry here. But, yeah, awesome interview. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter if you're not already. It's a Dom Frederick for you. Cubs fans, baseball fans, um, I think he's got some of the most you know valuable opinions as far as fans of baseball goes. Um, definitely worth the follow. Yeah, definitely, because it's a unique perspective. And, yeah. you know, like we said in the interview, you know, it's a guy that has a unique stake or power, so to speak, in that space. So it was great to have him on, and we really appreciate him taking the time. Lucas, it's the elephant in the room. We got to talk about the lockout. We're not going to talk about it for too long because, one, it's it's sad, and, two, we're not experts. Uh, I like to think I'm well-educated ed on the subject, but – I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, well, I'll start with the surface level of it. And it's that there's currently no MLB actions going on. So, um, you know, collective bargaining agreement expires and they weren't able to come to a deal. So that means that uh, the league has shut out the, you know, the players and the owners and really nothing's going on. So as far as free agency, um, that's frozen. Trades can't happen. Um, you can't even have your picture on the MLB app if you're a player. Um, a little common trend on Twitter for these stars to be changing their their avies on uh, Twitter to that funny picture because I mean how embarrassing these guys are I mean it's just ridiculous and as fans you know, we talked about it a little bit with Dom it's like we're the ones losing because you know the players are trying to get what's best for them whether it be money whether it be safety whether it be a rule change that's just irrelevant to the game you know, they, it seems like they want what's best for the game. And, you know, the owners are being the stifflers here. They're saying, you know, well, we can't give you too much money or we can't cave in on this without getting this. And at the end of the day, um, when there's delays in baseball, when there's delays in free agency, albeit there was, you know, a little exciting period there because of the timing of it. It was kind of like a mini deadline, but um, you know, we're the ones missing out and it's just not a good look for the league. Yes, I'm with you there in that it's not a good look, but I got to say it's not a good look for the owners. And yeah. I'll say one thing. Again, I got to preface this. I'm not an expert. I'm not a legal expert. I'm not an expert on collective bargaining. But if you're a fan, number one, I'll preface this with, you know, fans are the big losers in this situation uh, because, you know, they're the ones who show up to the ballpark and put money in the pockets of the owners and then eventually the players. So they're the ones kind of losing out here, but I got to say, if you're a fan, do not, do not fall into the trap of blaming the players for this situation. This is 110% on the owners. 
They're the ones in control here, and they have won and had the benefit of each of the last five, six, I don't know how many collective bargaining agreements. Since the last work stoppage in 1994, since the players' strikes, the owners have won and considerably won the negotiations every time there's been a renewal of the CBA. The players really want a number of things. They've got a laundry list, and that's what Major League Baseball came out and said. That's what Rob Manfred said in his stupid letter to the fans. He said uh, the players asked for the most extreme set of uh, wants and needs or whatever in uh, of all time. Yes, that's correct, but that's because there has not been progress made in each of the last handful of negotiations. Mm -hmm. At some point, the owners are going to have to make some concessions and realize that these players are the ones who make them rich and put the product on the field. Um, So I think that's the big problem. That's where they don't see eye to eye. I don't think the owners negotiated in great faith during COVID to come up with a season. I don't think the owners have negotiated in good faith to make a deal before the lockout. They said the lockout was the only option. I call bullshit on that. They did not listen to the players' options. They did not listen to the players' deals. MLB and the owners went to the Players Association and said, we want you guys to come forward and put forth a deal only without this, 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 and this. So they said they weren't going to listen to a deal if they had a certain list of things on the deal and the players said, no, we're not going to budge. So don't fall for the owner's negotiation tactics. The owners are at fault for this lockout single-handedly. So I, I, I'll just put that out there. And I think the biggest part about it for me was like the way that it was handled just felt like, you know, what we were talking about just to be a big middle finger to the fans, like how you said, they weren't listening. If you want to go in and if you follow any of the MLB writers and anything, they were, you know, they were there and keeping updated with it. But it's like these meetings weren't big, long meetings where they're really trying to get to the bottom of what's best for the league and what's best for the players and what's best for the fans. It was like two minute talks where is this, you know, have you guys budged? No. Okay. We're done. And then the league comes out and says, this is the only option. There was nothing we could have possibly done. There was no resolution we could have reached. Yeah, well, no, not if you have the attention span of a goldfish, like you have to hear out what these players have wanted. And it's not just a this year thing. Like you've had opportunities for years and years and years to fix this issues or to fix these issues. And, you know, you just kind of put it all on the players. Like, well, if you want to play, if you want to get a paycheck, then, you know, what ends up happening is they just are forced to agree to whatever shitty terms is on the deal. And um, obviously now we have a stoppage in play because the players are forced into it by the owners. Like, it's just, you know, it's greed. It's just a bad look for the league. And I keep saying that, but I mean, why in the time where baseball, I mean, they just need to go in the positive direction and they're not doing themselves any favor with literally locking out the league from even happening right now. Um, you know, it raises the questions of will the league start on time? I mean, will there be implications that next year is going to have weird rules again, because it's just something that if you want this, then this is going to have to be a part of it too. Um, you know, it's really changing the rules of the game right now. And that's what, you know, we're waiting to find out. So, um, obviously as a fan, I hope we do start on time, um, we do have a regular baseball season as close to it as possible. Um, but I don't know if that's very realistic because of the you know intensity that these meetings seem to have and like the polarization of each side. 
I do have to say there's so much doom and gloom as, as soon as this lockout happened. Um, everybody's like, oh, well, there goes our 2022 Major League Baseball season. Frankly, I got to be honest. I, I'm, I don't know if it's just me being optimistic. I just don't think that's going to be the case. What's at the heart of this negotiation? Everybody knows. What is it, Lucas? Say that again. What's at the heart of the negotiation? Oh, God. DH. Money. Money. You're close. <laughs> You're close. And what do both sides lose if you don't get if a full no season? No baseball is played, right? Yeah, they're both losing out. So both both sides want money. And if, if they want money, they got to play some baseball. They got to open the ballparks. They got to pay the players. And if the owners want to cry, you know, COVID money, we lost so-and-so, like we're miserable, we're losing so much money, then now is the time where you say, okay, well, we have the opportunity to make up for that. We have the opportunity to get back on track and have a normal season. So I'm just not buying it from the owners. And yeah, I guess I, especially considering that they need the money coming off of, you know, the COVID season two years ago, if that's true, then maybe there won't be a long delay. Um, and yeah, I just hope that it, hope that it works out that way. I hope so. With two last thoughts on the, the lockout for me before we move on to a brighter subject to wrap up here. There was a great article about the lockout uh, on Forbes Sports Money. I retweeted it earlier today. It would have been Thursday now, and you're likely listening to this on Friday or after. Scroll through my timeline, give it a read. Uh, it lays it out pretty well, and it just basically talks about how the owners don't want anything to change. And that's just simply unreasonable uh, in a changing world. Things have to change. Uh, so that article lays it out pretty well. And also, uh, if you're inspired uh, by reading that article or anything else about the work stoppage, I read a great book a few years ago. It's called The Game, and it was about the strike in 1994. And it talks about the commissioner, Bud League. Uh, it talks about um, the Yankees as a franchise. It talks about a, a lot of different players and the stakeholders in that labor stoppage uh, and how nasty it got. Uh, so if you're interested in stuff like that, look it up, give it a read. It's, it's called the game. It's very, very long. It's like, there's no visual on this podcast, but it's very thick. Uh, I think it's like 500 or 600 pages. Um, but it's very in depth and I, it's recommended reading, uh, for a time like this. And heck, if the season doesn't start on time, you got plenty of time. That would be thick with two C's sounds like, right. Right. Yes. We just want to clarify with no visualization have to be, yes, to two C's, maybe audience. even three. Okay. Yeah. Thick book folks, but two, I'm sure we'll go two and a half. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's, let's switch the gear then talk about a little more uh, uplifting topic. Um, we had the hall of fame old timers committee vote go on this past week um, where six new hall of famers were added, um, not on the traditional ballot that's still going on. And we're waiting obviously uh, about a month or two now to get those results, but we got some new Hall of Famers to talk about. Um, big name for Sox fans, Manny Minoso on that list. Um, Larry, you know, tell me a little bit of, you know, your old-timer baseball knowledge about some of these guys. Um, and, you know, obviously, a part, being a part of this old-timers committee, a lot of the time is you're inducted for reasons outside of your um, statistical play. Um, I don't know if that's kind of the case for Minoso. Um, but, you know, tell me a little, about, a little bit about the rest of these guys here. So you've got six guys that got inducted. Gil Hodges, former GM of the Mets, Jim Cott, a Minnesota twin, as well as Tony Oliva, Minnesota twins teammates, Minnie Minoso, all-time great Chicago White Sox and really baseball legend. Buck O'Neill, uh, perhaps 
one of the greatest, if not the greatest baseball guys of all time. I mean, just a legend uh, by every sense of the definition than Bud Fowler, who played way back in the day. Um, so the, the two players, the two folks I really know the most about is Minnie Minoso and Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill, really a trailblazer, uh, played in the Negro Leagues, wanted to manage in the major leagues, uh, never did get that opportunity, but played a big role in a lot of major league franchises as a scout, as an advisor, uh, as a guy in the front office. Uh, I know he was the reason that Billy Williams even made it to the major leagues. He was the guy who signed Billy Williams and convinced him not to quit when he was on the verge of quitting. Buck O'Neill was a guy who endured so much over the course of his life in terms of racism, but it was always just the most positive guy in every room he walked into uh, from a young age all the way up until the day he died, even when he didn't get into the Hall of Fame back in 2006, when everybody expected him to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, and at that point, it was it was kind of a foregone conclusion that he probably wasn't going to see the day that he got into the Hall of Fame. And unfortunately, that was that turned out to be the case. Uh, more recommended reading. I guess this has turned into a book club now. Um, great book on Buck O'Neill. It's called The the Soul of Baseball. Joe Poznanski wrote it. Uh, he's a writer in Kansas City. Um, talks a lot about the Negro Leagues, talks a lot about Buck O'Neill's stories from the Negro Leagues and baseball stories in general. I'd give that a read to learn more about Buck O'Neill and visit the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. Manny Minoso uh, is a guy, in my opinion, who does not get enough credit for his on-field playing career. Uh, Russ Dorsey, Cubs beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times was on MLB Network at the end of November and he came up with some great numbers um, and pulled together B-War leaders from the 1950s and that's a decade that was stacked with baseball talent guys like Mickey Mantle, Stan Musial, Ted Williams, Jackie Robinson and he put together a graphic at MLB Network with the top I think 12 maybe players in terms of B-War uh, from that decade. Mickey Mantle's at the top, Stan Musial in second place, Willie Mays third, Duke Snyder fourth, uh, Eddie Matthews fifth, Richie Ashburn sixth, Yogi Berra seventh, Minnie Minoso eighth, ahead of Ted Williams and Jackie Robinson. Two Hall of Famers. So that's impressive in and of itself, but perhaps the coolest thing about Minnie Minoso, he was the only player to get a hit in the 1970s, even though he'd already appeared on a Hall of Fame ballot in the 60s, he played on Cuban teams in his teens, played in the Negro Leagues in his 20s, played in the big leagues in his 50s, and played in the Northern League in his 70s. And that tweet from Tony Stark, that or Jason Stark, rather, not Iron Man, but uh, the baseball <laughs> writer Jason Stark. Um, wild, wild stuff. Yeah, no, I think talking about Manny Minoso, um, and talking about Hall of Famers as a general, I think baseball is one of those weird ones where it's not a always up to your play and you can be a great player a hall of fame player by every sense of the definition but it's really up to the writers at the end of the day and for a long time i thought um minoso and another white Sox um kind of legend not necessarily all with the white Sox, but dick allen was another guy on this list who you know just missed uh, making the hall of fame through this same voting um but Minoso is one of those guys where i think as a hall of famer you have to have a lasting impression on the game today and as Sox fans, I think we are like direct. Our team right now is like a direct result of Minnie Minoso being a White Sox and being um, that Cuban influence for our team. Uh, he's been compared to the Cuban Jackie Robinson, 
you know, he played in the Negro leagues, but, um, you know, wasn't always Hispanic Negroes. He was, you know, one of those Cuban um, players that ended up making it to the major leagues and really was, you know, another trailblazer for those types of players. You look at guys like Alexei Ramirez, Jose Abreu, um, White Sox, who in the past have, you know, had relationships with Minoso, who have, you know, credited him with being a part of, um, you know, what appeals to Cuban players um, for the White Sox organization. And, you know, given, you know, like I said, I think that you kind of have, you have to have some sort of lasting impression. You have to be a game changer to be a Hall of Famer. And without Manny Minoso and what he did and what he went through, um, his son, Charlie Minoso, talks about it to today, some of the stories of the racism that um, many had to experience. Uh, you know, having pitchers who would throw at him and then years later, you know, once Minoso's this respected um, player in the league come back and say, you know what, I did this, I'm sorry, um, I threw at you and and I'm sorry for that. And players shouldn't have to go through that. Many did and the league is in a better place now because of guys like Minnie Minoso. 110%. You make a great connection between, you know, guys on White Sox teams currently and previously in recent years and a guy like me, you know, so who's a trailblazer. And I think that's a great positive way to, to end a podcast about a, a lot of negative talk, but also a yeah. great interview with Dom. Got to thank Dom again for taking the time to join us. It's our first ever guest. Hey, you guys let us know who, who's next, who's number two. Uh, and we'll do our best to, to get that person on. We'll try to make some connections and get some more interviews out the off season. Yeah, it's, you know, obviously always fun to talk with you, Larry, but getting that other opinion and, you know, a guy like Dom where he's, you know, kind of in that niche space on Twitter. And if you know, you know, he's kind of one of those guys. So um, had a lot of fun today and definitely looking forward to doing more projects like that. But, you know, this was another great episode of the Hip Hop Pod, Larry. Like you said, a little few negative topics maybe, but it's baseball. It's baseball. Hey, it's baseball. Lots of ups and downs, man. You know, they're you're going to fail seven times out of 10 and still be considered successful in baseball. So maybe not in collective bargaining, uh, but <laughs> otherwise, you know, hopefully we'll have some positive news to report next podcast. Hopefully it's a little less than a month uh, between podcasts, but we're going to talk lockouts. We're going to talk Hall of Fames this winter. Uh, we've got some some big ideas in store, so be sure to subscribe. Great podcast, as always, Larry. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. And of course, the Dom Frederick. This was the hip hop pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run.